Welcome to another episode of On Air with Rebecca. Today we are diving deeper into the mysteries of the Messiah hidden throughout both the New and Old Testament. Not only that, but many believers are still missing out on half of their inheritance. We're going to be talking about what that means and more, but please welcome to the show the founder of Fusion Global, author and speaker, Rabbi Jason Sobel. Shalom. It's great hey. to be here with you. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. And starting off, what does that mean, missing half of the inheritance? Yeah, there's a great Bible verse. You know, Yeshua, Jesus says, one of his parables, he says, what can a scribe who understands the kingdom of heaven be compared to? Like a householder that brings forth treasures new and old. And I think the full inheritance is what God wants to give us. And I think so many Christians settle for the new, which is the New Testament. Yeah. So many Jewish people settle for the old, which is the Hebrew scriptures, yep. the Old Testament. And you know, there's even churches called New Testament churches. It's kind of like, wait, you forgot the whole other half of the Bible, <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, so God wants us to bring the two together because that's the full revelation. You can't fully understand the new if you don't understand the promises of the old because the New Testament is the fulfillment of all the prophecies, all the messianic promises God made. And I don't think anyone should settle for half an inheritance. Amen. That is such a good word. And in the New Testament, it's constantly quoting and referencing yeah. the old. So even the new was affirming the old in its own writing by referencing it. And what I love about what you're saying is you have a new book. Yeah. Mysteries of the Messiah. And this is exactly what this book is doing. It's connecting the two by really showing how Messiah is throughout the whole Bible. So what inspired you to write this? Yeah, I mean, I think there were a few things. I mean, part of our passion is we want people to see the Bible in high definition. Mm -hmm. It's that kind of road to Emmaus experience. We love taking people to Israel. And when we first started taking people to Israel and they saw how it all connected together. They had that road to Emmaus moment where Jesus, after his resurrection, yeah. secretly walking with his disciples, they don't recognize who he is. He's kind of hidden as he's walking with them. And he opens up the law of the prophets and the writings, and he shows how all these things point to him. And, it's, and when their eyes are open after he breaks the bread, they said that our hearts not burn mm -hmm. within us. And there's something, just a sense of wonder and a sense of awe when we understand how the whole yeah. story ties together in a powerful way. That's actually one of my favorite stories in the Bible and how he like walks them through all the scriptures and he basically shows him who he is. And then right in that moment, they realize it's him. And doesn't yeah. he like disappear or yeah. something like yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> and then they say, did our hearts not burn yeah. within us? Because yeah. it resonated within their spirit that like yeah. this was the truth. You know, when I think Gentiles read the Old Testament because we don't have the understanding of the Hebrew roots and even that um, Eastern mindset, yeah. because we think in West, it's even a different way of thinking. Yeah. But we'll see these things and we'll just think, oh, it's so random yeah. or it's so particular, but everything actually has a reason and it's actually beautiful. Everything in the tabernacle, every piece of furniture, the numbers, there's this huge yeah. depth of meaning and people are just missing out on it. So that's why this book is perfect. Yeah, I mean, we walk through systematically from creation through the patriarchs, through, you know, just the... Passover to David, and that's what we're trying to do, kind of walk people through it. But I think you're right. I mean, I think the first chapter we talk about creation, but 
Creation was for the sake of redemption. Mm -hmm. God created us because he wanted that connection and he wants us to have that connection. And along those lines, there's a wonderful verse that says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and it's the glory of a king to search it out. And I think we're called to be children of the king. Mm -hmm. So we're called to search out these things and understand the deeper connections. Yeah, That's part of the intimacy with God that he wants to bring about in our lives. That's so true. And it's like a treasure. It's like when you get it, it's so priceless. And it will forever even change the way you see things. And I think as you keep going, no matter how long you've been in your faith, you never stop learning. There's so much more to God and he's infinite. So you'll never run out of things to learn about him. That's why it says in heaven that the angels are always crying out, holy, 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 because God continues to reveal himself and that's just the natural response. Yeah, and the, the, the New Testament, these are things angels long to look into. I mean, mm. these are these are mysteries. Even the angels long to look into the gospel and, yeah. and these sorts of promises. These deeper, you know, yeah. So I think it's it's all right there, and it's a blessing that God gives us the opportunity to learn and grow and share and express these sorts of things. So let's start with creation. What are some of the mysteries revealed in that beginning event? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I think is powerful is that the very first word of Genesis chapter one in Hebrew, Bereshit, in the beginning in English, is that word can be read in the beginning or can be read literally in Hebrew, Beit can mean on account of, and the Reshit can mean the firstborn. So Genesis one one can be read on account of the firstborn, God created the heavens and the earth. What does that mean on account of the firstborn? Well, what that means from a Jewish perspective is that it was only on account of the Messiah that God created the world. Oh, wow. And part of the reason for that is God saw, he knows the beginning from the end, he saw that man would sin. And so God went to the Messiah, this is Jewish thought, and said, would you suffer and die or else I'm not going to create the world? And Jewish tradition says, Messiah says, yes, I agree to suffer and die. And this wow. is exactly what the book of Revelation is talking about. He's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world because God creates the cure and the antidote before the sickness ever comes about. Yeah, and there's that verse in Ephesians where it says, um, he chose us in him. And the before, I think, the I don't know this is, yes. And so the world, there's yeah. even, there was that plan of redemption was always there. God always had that plan to redeem us back to him, which is just such a beautiful thought and also brings so much peace. Eternity will be forever with him. There will be an end to this, you know, life, this temporary earth that we're living on and that there's something much greater coming. And so there's hope in that even as well. Yeah, and I think that's even there in the first letter of the Hebrew Bible when it says Bereshit, as we said, means in the beginning, but the beginning implies the end. Mm. And so in a sense, the beginning is pregnant with the end. Mm. And so from the very beginning, God always had the end in mind. And, you know, that's something very important for us to understand. We have to live with the end in mind. No matter what it is we're going through in our life, we have to live in light of knowing one day we're going to stand before the Lord. I know. And ever since that my father has gone to heaven, I've really, it's really shifted my perspective towards eternity and understanding. Cause I think when we live on this earth, 
We get so caught up in the day-to-day things. And it's like, of course, we have to think about those things. But we have to really live with an internal perspective. But it never becomes more obvious until someone who's like your home, you know, who feels like home to you goes on to be to heaven. And then you realize, oh, wow, this earth is not my home. And then you start realizing what's really important. And so we do need to keep these things in mind as we're living out the day-to-day and not get drowned down in the small details of this life because God has all of those things in his hand and we have to live, like you said, with the end in mind. So I love that. Yeah. And with creation, I mean, obviously one of the major events is shortly before God created the world, you have the fall, the man and woman uh, take from the tree. And as a result of taking from the tree, you know, sin and sickness and death enter the world, but the tree in the garden of Eden that was ultimately meant to point to Jesus who dies on a cross, which is a tree. So we stole from the tree, but God puts back on the tree Jesus for you and me to reverse the curse and restore the blessing. And the interesting thing there is that the word for tree in Hebrew, ha'etz, has the same numerical value of curse in Hebrew because a tree brought the curse, but it was by means of a tree that the curse was broken in our life as well. Like Jesus being the second Adam. The second Adam. Yeah. Exactly. It's like through because through one man that the curse came yeah. through one man redemption could come. Yeah, and all thank goodness. Yeah. Because <laughs> we could not have done it. And I'm very thankful for that. No, it is powerful <laughs> because there are four negative things that happen as a result of the fall. Like I think the fall can be summarized in one word, it's exile, which mm-hmm. is disconnection and distance. We had spiritual yeah. exile, we had emotional exile, we had relational exile, man and woman's relationship, the family dynamics, fighting with each other, Cain kills Abel, mm-hmm. and physical exile, which is death. And when Jesus, Yeshua, died on the cross, right, he celebrates the Passover with his disciples, there's four cups of redemption. It points to the fact that the Messiah came to undo those four aspects of exile. So when Jesus dies on the cross, okay, he dies, first of all, to do undo spiritual exile, right? Mm-hmm. When he dies on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's dealing with the emotional aspect of exile, our feelings of disconnection from God, our disconnection from ourselves, all the fear and anxiety that we wrestle with in yeah. our life. He turns to the thief on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He's dealing with relational exile. Mm-hmm. And then he has the crown of thorns on his head, which is the sign of the curse of creation. The ground produced thorns and thistles. He's dealing with physical exile. So Jesus' death on the cross comes to bring spiritual life and wholeness. It comes to bring emotional life and wholeness. It comes to bring relational life and wholeness. And it comes to bring physical life and wholeness because of what he's done as the greater Adam on the cross. And like you said, there's all these different aspects, like these exiles that we suffered, but he's come to restore all of them. And that's why he went through everything that he went through. And everything has a purpose. And I just love that. You, One of the things you talk about is you said we had a purpose before the fall and a purpose after the fall. Sorry, can you speak to that? Yeah, one of the interesting things is that it's actually a... People mistranslate from the Hebrew why God created man. 
They me. think we were put in the we were put in Eden to be gardeners. They tend to mm-hmm. think that God put no, that's actually what in the I garden thought. to tend it and to till it, or something like that. Translation, but the Hebrew actually says to worship and obey. Really? Because the same word for work is the same word for worship in Hebrew. And I think the only difference between work and worship is who you're doing it for. Avodah can mean worship or avodah can mean work. And so you can translate it as worship or you can translate it as work, but there was no work before the fall. Work is the result of the fall. It didn't exist before the fall. Man and woman were created to be worshipers of God, were, were created to be a priesthood. And the Garden of Eden was meant to be a tabernacle. That makes way more sense. And that's why when God comes down on Mount Sinai, he says to Israel, you're to be a royal priesthood and a holy nation. He's restoring the original mandate to humanity. In the New Testament, Peter says we've all become part of his Mm -hmm. royal priesthood and holy nation. Speak a little bit about Passover. And that Passover happens before Shavuot. What are some of the mysteries connected to that? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of... There's so much, I mean, there's, actually. There's so much there. going to be there. like an hour and a half teaching. <laughs> the, the key thing here to understand is that every major event in the life of Jesus, Yeshua, happened on a Jewish holiday. Yes. He, The Last Supper was a Passover Seder. So you can't understand the Last Supper. You can't understand his death on the cross if you don't understand the significance of Passover. Yeah. So like one of the main things at Passover and we talk about in the book is that it's the feast of unleavened bread. Yes. And you eat the matzah. What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) Right. So when God brought Israel out of Egypt, they came out so quickly Mm -hmm. that their bread did not have time to rise. So they ate unleavened bread. Mm -hmm. And so it's a symbol of redemption, of the speedy redemption that God brought. So as a reminder of that redemption to this day, the Jewish people eat matzah during the days of Passover. And we have what's known as a Passover Seder. And at the Seder, we reenact the story of Egypt and pass on that story to the next generation by having this special ritual meal together. Mm-hmm. And one of the main things at that meal is the unleavened bread, the matzah. Yeah. Well, the amazing thing about the matzah, the matzah points to the Messiah. Because think about it, the matzah is unleavened. In the Bible, leaven is a picture of sin. And beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. So the bread is sinless. Literally, the matzah is striped and yeah. bruised. And at and one pierced. point we pierce. Yeah. And at one point we break the matzah. It's Isaiah 53. Pierce for our transgressions, crush for our iniquities. By his stripes, we're healed. We take the piece of matzah. We break it in half. Part of it we wrap in a white linen cloth. We bury it. The kids have to search for it later. And at the end, we eat it. It's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah. So it's so powerful. And then there are four cups at the Passover Seder. Yes. The third cup is the cup of redemption. It points to the three sprinklings of the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorpost of the house. That's the cup Jesus raises, the cup of redemption. This is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. So understand there's three sprinklings of the blood on the doorposts of the house. Jesus was crucified at the third hour. There were three crosses. He rose from the dead on the third day. All this is pointing to him as the greater Passover lamb who takes away the sins of the world. What is the connection with the first fruits? 
So he so he dies on Passover okay. in fulfillment of the Passover lamb because mm-hmm. God says, when I see the blood on the doorpost of your house in the days of the Israel's Egypt, I will pass over. So we have to apply his blood to our life by faith. Mm-hmm. And when we do, judgment passes over us and yes. God redeems us. We don't die. Uh, we have eternal life. On the second day of Passover, there's another holiday called Yom HaBikarim, or First Fruits. Mm-hmm. And that was the day in which it was the beginning of the harvest in Israel. It was the beginning of what was the barley harvest. And so the priests would go down, they'd cut some of the first fruits, and they'd do a wave offering mm-hmm. before the Lord. And a good first fruits was the sign of a later, greater harvest, which culminates at Pentecost, right? Oh, wow. The key thing here is that that's the day Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the dead on the day of first fruits. He was the first fruit because offering. It, yes, because the New, the New Testament tells us, Paul tells us, he's the first fruits from among the dead. Mm-hmm. Because if you have the good first fruits, it's the guarantee of the later harvest. Because he rose from the dead, it's the guarantee we're going to rise from the dead one day as well. So many Gentiles, they don't know that communion that we celebrate, we continue to do, you know, it's the sacrament or whatever word you want to describe it as, but something we continue to do to this day that when Jesus was doing it, it was at a Seder and he was actually, like you said, speaking of that cup and that whole thing that he was doing was was at a Seder. It wasn't the yeah. last, I mean, it was the last supper, but it was more than that. It was Passover. And we don't even know that. We don't even make that connection. Yeah. So every time we do the Lord's Supper. So that supper, was matzah? Yeah, it was matzah. Those so it wasn't bread, bread. bread. <laughs> da Vinci's picture with the fluffy loaves of yeah. white bread. Absolutely incorrect. This is part of the taking it out of context. If you notice what in Da Vinci's famous picture of the Lord's Supper, what are they eating for the main course? They're eating fish. Because he was a nice Catholic boy and they eat fish at Lent. <laughs> but they would have been eating the Passover lamb. Yeah, which is who he is. Which is who he is. It all oh, points wow. to him. wow. So it was matzah. Well, hey, the little wafers <laughs> at church, they're pretty thin. I don't think they're matzah, but it's a little bit closer. Right. So it's never a big fluffy loaf of bread. That's just Definitely kind of mind-blowing. Not. And you would le- lie, like lean on each other or you would relax because it's like we're no longer slaves. So even gives context to... John, when he's laying on Jesus, because that's what you do at Passover, you're lounging, you know, it's like, so just, there's so many things that give context and depth and understanding and balance. These are all things that come when you understand these mysteries. I want to ask you, what is second Passover? Because I just found out about this. Yes, it is mentioned in the scripture, it's called Pesach Sheni. And basically what it is, is that eat of the Passover mm-hmm. when the temple stood or when the tabernacle was, you had to be in a state of ritual purity. So if you had touched a dead body, for example, uh, or someone died in your tent or in your house, right? You'd become ritually unclean and therefore you could not offer the Passover sacrifice or eat of the Passover sacrifice. Not to get into it too deep, but the idea is that the tabernacle was a new Eden. The mm. temple was a new Eden. And anything that made you unclean had a connection to the fall. Anything oh, wow. that was a reminder of the death and the curse and the fall in some way made you unclean. So, for example, a woman uh, during her cycle becomes unclean. Why? Because mm-hmm. it's a loss of life. 
um, touching a dead body oh is goodness. the ultimate death. It's the ultimate sign of the curse is death, right? Yeah. It's the reason why if you had certain deformities, you couldn't be a priest in the temple because it's a reminder. It's not because God's against people with, with handicaps, yeah. but it's because it's a reminder of the fall. And the tabernacle was the new Eden. There was the cherubim. There was the mm-hmm. presence of God. There was all of that. And so if you were in a state of being unclean, you couldn't eat of the Passover, which was such an important part of the covenant and national celebration. And so God in his goodness, in his grace said, if you for some reason couldn't celebrate the first Passover because you were unclean or there's something else that kept you from doing it, one month later, there's what's known as Pesach Sheni, and you can then be prepared to celebrate it with your family because that's God's grace and his goodness to us. He's always given us another opportunity if for somehow we miss out on the first one. So one of the things you mentioned as we're talking about the second Passover and Passover is you mentioned the reclining at the table. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason why we recline is because when we were slaves in Egypt, we had to eat standing at the beck and call of our masters. And in ancient times, free people reclined when they eat. So we reclined to remind us that we are free or no mm-hmm. longer slaves in Egypt. But practically, it reminds me of something that the Lord spoke to me and that really has changed my life. And that is one day I was having my time with the Lord and he said to me, Jason, you're my favorite son. Mm-hmm. And he said, when you go out there, I want you to tell people you're my favorite son. I was like, Lord, I can't do that. <laughs> people are going to want to stone me. And they're going to think I'm prideful. Yeah. <laughs> he said, but Jason, he goes, you have two sons. He goes, which one do you love more? And I said, man, right? I mean, I love them both. I I don't love one more than the other. They're both special, and I love them both in their own way. And he said, Jason, I'm a father, and you're a father, but I'm not a father like you're a father. Mm -hmm. He goes, I'm the infinite father. And as the infinite father, I can have an infinite number of number one sons and daughters. And the reason why you don't want to tell people you're my favorite one is because you don't really believe that I could love you enough that I could see you as my favorite. So you go out there and tell people. And just what I want to remind everyone is that what Yeshua does for us as the Passover lamb is he makes us children of the king. For as many as believed, John tells us, to them he gave the right, the authority, to become the children of God. Identity is destiny. Mm -hmm. We have to understand that on the basis of what he did for us, you as an individual have become God's number one in the sun. That is so wild. Why do you think, because there's all of these prophecies that are very specific in the Old Testament, and then we know that Jesus fulfilled them, how do you, why do you think so many Jewish people don't see it? Yeah, and just even before we get to that, I think there's even more. Like even in Jewish tradition, yeah. Right. And again, we talk about Yom Kippur in this book a little bit, the Day of Atonement, how Jesus mm-hmm. fulfilled it. The crazy thing about that is that there was a red cord on the Day of Atonement. Part of that red cord would be tied to the horns of the scapegoat. Part would be in the temple. When the scapegoat that bore the sins of the people died, the crimson cord in the temple would supernaturally turn from red to white, showing that though your sins be like scarlet red, I will make them white as snow. And the, really? and the rabbis say 40 years before the destruction of the temple, that cord stopped turning from red to white. And they knew God was not happy. 
Well, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Jesus died approximately 30 yeah. AD, depending how you calculate it, but between 30 and 33. Yeah. So in the time of the life and ministry of Jesus, the, the crimson cord stopped turning because it wasn't going to be by the blood of goats or bulls and lambs, but of the Messiah. And that just makes me think about, you said our original purpose it wasn't to be gardeners per se, it was to worship and obey. And then when you're talking about the sacrifice of animals, it makes me think of that passage where I'm pretty sure Samuel says it to Saul, where he says obedience is better than sacrifice. Absolutely. But why do you think so many Jewish people today don't see it? Yeah. Because it's think, just not talked about? Yeah, or? Well, I think there's a few things. I think number one, it has to do with God's plan and design. Yeah. Right. God says that, you know, if the Jewish people would have accepted him fully, he wouldn't have been the Messiah because Isaiah 53 he had to be rejected, just like Joseph was rejected by his brothers. And this is one of the things you talk about in the book, actually. Yeah. Messiah had to be rejected. So and Paul talks about this in Romans. He said there's a partial blindness yeah. upon the Jewish people. There's a partial hardening of the heart. It's not complete. Because people like me and your husband, yeah. <laughs> Jonathan, who I love Yay. and is awesome, <laughs> big shout out to, to Jonathan, like we're Jewish believers, right? Mm -hmm. So we're proof that it's a partial, that there's a remnant of Jews who believe. Mm -hmm. So God is, God has not rejected his people, but there's a remnant. But one day all Israel will believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, those who are alive at his second coming. So part of it is part of the plan. There's a spiritual uh, blindness so that salvation can go to the Gentiles. But there's also another two practical parts of it, which is that unfortunately, Jewish people have been persecuted in yeah. the name of Jesus for so long, for a long time since really the bad early history. church, since the early church, yeah, since about 300, 400, you know, AD, and so they're like, how can we believe yeah. in a Jesus in whose name we've been persecuted? Because Hitler infiltrated the Lutheran church and used some of the teachings of Martin Luther to justify the genocide of the Jewish people. That's one part of it. So that's why we need Gentiles who love the Jewish people like you all at Daystar and yeah. how you bless Israel and love Israel. And that was a big part of your dad's heart and was part mm -hmm. of the big legacy uh, that, that he's left uh, to, to the world and to the body of Messiah. And another part of it, though, is they say, well, you can't be Jewish and believe in Jesus because they look at the New Testament and they look at how the church has interpreted it. And they're like, you know, obviously when you believe in Jesus, you have to give up anything Jewish. And historically the church actually made Jewish believers literally change their Hebrew names, yeah. not celebrate any of the holidays, not because they accuse them of being Judaizers if they did. Mm -hmm. So that's where we need Jewish believers. And that's where we need the church to embrace its Jewish roots to show no. This is biblical. You can be Jewish and believe. Hey, thanks for watching. Follow me on Instagram at Rebecca Lamb Weiss.